Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another episode of Two Peas on a podcast. I am so thrilled that you have joined us. And here we are coming up on the end of October, which is glorious in one sense because I have a good buddy of mine on the podcast tonight to wrap up the month of horror here on the Peas. But it's also so depressing because this is my favorite month of the podcast. Obviously, it just happens once a year where we have four or five episodes kind of spooky horror slash Halloween themed. And this is the last one for 2020. So say what's up to my buddy Paul from The Countdown. What's up, man? You're back on the show. How you doing, brother? Hello, Gerald. Hello, Peas in the pod. It's great to be back. I don't know how many times I've been on now, but every time it's been magnificent and it's never better than to be around to discuss horror because you might not know this, ladies and gentlemen, but Gerald is a horror guy. And <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you're here to tell everyone. I don't think they knew. And I also am a bit of a horror guy, so I like to talk horror with horror guys. Absolutely, absolutely, man. And uh, I know you're you're poking fun there, but it, <laughs> but you're but it's it's true, man. I mean, I'm a I'm a horror fanatic, and I know you are as well. I came on your absolutely. show, you know, I don't know, three or four months ago, and we discussed '80s horror, which was a lot of fun over on the countdown. I got to do that bonus episode with you. It was awesome, and and it was great. And I'm maybe some of those movies will come up tonight. Some of those slashers, perhaps, will come up tonight. I don't know, Ooh. but yeah, it's always great when we get together paul so thank you so much for being here no, thank you and, for you t- and to, wrap Absolutely. Up, to wrap up the month of horror with uh, this topic is uh is very special to me i know man we've had we've had a lot of good episodes this year but this one i feel like is going to be good from a conversational standpoint and also perhaps a bit controversial because i just wanted to ask you when you were forming your list and before we go any further why don't you tell everyone what exactly is the top five that we're doing tonight the top 10 i oh, sorry wait the top five game-changing horror films <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, I guess 10 if you do honorable mentions like yeah. me. Yeah. Of course, you're on the P's, man. You got to round out the top 10, brother. That's if true. Anybody has their, if anybody has their bingo card, they can go ahead and mark that space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is a topic we bandied around for a bit, and I thought it would be a great way to celebrate the very big names in horror for how it changed the direction of the genre or added to the genre or created something that has never been seen before. That's how I kind of went about my list. How about you? Yeah, I kind of agree, but I did want to ask you from an angle perspective, and there's no wrong answer here. I'm just kind of curious without mm-hmm. giving any title titles away. So these are game changers in horror. So when, you know, because when we come on the P's and when you've come on in the past and all my guests and whatnot, you know, it's a personal list for us. So it's like our five favorites in whatever, you know, the category may be. Yep. However, when you're talking horror game changers, so now when you were forming your list, again, without giving away any titles, is this a list that's personal to you? In other words, were they game-changing like in your life personally, or do you look at them as kind of morphing the genre overall? No, I went wide. I went the big ones rather than for me personally. So Okay. And if you did the opposite, then we might have some very different lists, which is great. So that's mm-hmm. fine either way. So hopefully you'll accept my wide. And they're all, I mean, they didn't sure. change. Some of these are, without spoiling things, some of these predate my love for horror. So they couldn't, okay. they couldn't have spoiled it or sorry, changed the genre for me personally in that way. Okay. That's the same for me then. Um, you know, obviously there's some that are going to be on my list. I'm looking at my top five here, uh, three in particular that came along that were way before I was what would be considered a horror fan or really even a movie fan and in some cases even born mm-hmm. so um, so you're right it's uh, but you know there are also movies that I constantly go back to now because 
I do see the uh, the merits and and the importance that they have in the genre that I love so much. So it is in a way a little bit of both, I guess. It's a personal list because I do visit these movies all the time. Um, but it's also I didn't come to them right away. You know what I mean? They yep. were already changing the genre much before I was into them. So well, I've got a couple here that I was along the ride for. So we clearly me have too. some. Diff- I know we do. All right, great. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. All right, so our top five horror game changers. And again, guys, this is the last episode for our spooky-themed season here in October 2020. Paul, it's a blast whenever you come back on, man. So I'm so I'm so excited you're here for this one. I know you're a big horror fan, too. Thanks, man. It is a blast. All right, man. So on the flip side of this little music cue, me and Paul are going to jump in with our personal top five horror game-changing movies. Paul, so you're the guest here, and as you know I like to do, I'm mm-hmm. probably going to let you go first, man, if you're cool with that. I kind of want to see what direction you're going into. I was just reordering my list, like, literally five minutes ago before we started recording, so um, I just want to see. I'm, I'm interested, man, so why don't you get us started? What's your number five horror game changer? Well, I had four automatically went on to my top five, and then last night I sat around sort of rounding out the ten and trying to order the list, and the hardest thing I found was ordering, really. So let's mm-hmm. see how quickly this puts people off. My number five is a film that I I saw in the theatres some nine or ten months after it was released in your part of the world, Gerald, by which time it was very clear that it wasn't a true film, but nevertheless, it had an impact. I'm talking the very first famous found footage film, The Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, guess what, man? We got crossover right off the bat, brother. Yeah. So How this is not? a little, yeah, this is a little bit higher for me, but uh, I agree with you. This is definitely one of the game changers. Why don't you talk about why it made the cut for you? Well, for starters, it was probably the cleverest film. It came at the dawn of the internet, kind of right around the time the internet was was going wide, and the, and the directors here were smart enough, and the marketers behind the film for this tiny little what was it, ten thousand, fifty thousand dollar film. They made it seem like it was real, and then presented it in mm-hmm. this fashion of it's the characters themselves filming themselves on this misadventure where ultimately spoilers for a film that's 21 years old they all die so and they were never seen again in fact I think that's pretty much announced at the start of the film so that's not really a spoiler but that then created this last 20 years particularly the following 5 to 10 let's say so many cheap found footage films because that's what filmmakers realised horror is already a pretty cheap genre to have to make or to to make then the Blair Witch Project just comes and makes it this micro budgeted way of making a shit ton of money if you make a Blair Witch Project $50,000 doesn't have to sell too many tickets to go into profit and even when you factor in a marketing budget of two hundred fifty dollars or $300,000 doesn't have to do that well to make money in fact even if it makes a wide distribution it will automatically make its money because horror fans like us Gerald are kind of dumb we'll watch anything that comes to the cinema hoping it's the next big thing <laughs> right well it's coming up on my list you know the I was just looking it up on IMDb while you were talking because I think one of the things that has to be emphasized when you're talking about game changers and horror whether you like this movie or not is what you alluded to already is that they spent 60 grand to make the movie. They made 1.5 million just on the opening weekend alone. There you go. And to date, it's made almost 250 million uh, <laughs> in box office numbers. So, I mean, come on, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, the return on that is insane. And then we just see the explosion of 
the found footage genre. Of course, you know, a lot of people are going to say Blair Witch was not the first, which I understand that. Uh, the Lost Broadcast uh, was. Right. And I, you know, and I agree and I understand that, you know, but it's, I, I always equate it to like my love of Nirvana, you know, the 90s rock band. So they weren't the first grunge band, right? And I will admit that. But were they the ones that were responsible for changing the genre, changing rock and roll music? And I think an argument can be made that they definitely were. They were a huge part of that. So I feel like yep. Blair Witch is the same way when yeah. it comes to found footage. Which so. film popularized it? Like I didn't see the last broadcast six or seven years after this film and, and didn't realize it was made beforehand until that point. So which is the one that launched this subgenre that, that made, that changed horror? It's definitely the Blair Witch. Because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that we weren't lost. I insisted that we keep going. I insisted that we walk south. Everything had to be my way. And this is where we've ended up. And it's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry. And cold. And hunted. Right. And I think the marketing is a huge part of that too. So that's coming up on my list. Great pick to get us started. You know, we were we were talking about this guys in the pre-roll, but Paul and I are of the assumption that we're probably going to have a lot of crossover. So we'll just mm. try to give you good commentary on these films because they're obviously game changing to us if we're crossing over like crazy here. But great pick, man, to get us started. All right. So uh Paul, you know, you and you and Wayne like to do the low over on the countdown. So I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where you're gonna say at my number five here. But All I right. too I too struggled with the ordering and I didn't know if my personal bias was creeping in a little bit with this one, but I also feel like even though its recency is there, it is a game changer. But uh, you were talking about kind of seeing it in the theater with Blair Witch and kind of growing up with it. Uh, This was one that I saw in the theater and multiple times. I went back to see it in the theater multiple times. I've seen this movie to date probably, if I had to throw a number out there, I would say probably like 30 times I've watched this film. Wow. Uh, But it's from 1996 and it's Scream by Wes Craven. It's uh, a little low, not much low. Okay, all right, okay, a little low. I mean, you know, we've, and in fact, the last time you came on the P's, we talked about Scream 2 because we were talking about college set movies. That's it. So so you and I have had Scream conversations on this show before, uh, let alone, I'm sure, in our regular lives too but I mean Wes Craven's a horror master and what he did with Scream and why I list this as one of the top five game changers of all time in the genre is because he reinvigorated a genre Mm -hmm. he brought back to life a genre that was dead at the time Um, you know some of I don't want to give away any titles but some of the movies that may or may not be mentioned in the 70s and 80s was like the renaissance and the prime time for horror movies I mean, everybody was making them. They were cheap to make. A lot of directors made their careers on, you know, just being in that genre. And a lot of actors and so on that you can name that are just known as horror actors or horror directors because Mm -hmm. that was all they did. You know, they made a life doing that. And Wes Craven was one of those. And then the 90s come along. And it gets a little schlocky and people get tired of it. The public gets tired of it. Uh, and it kind of it doesn't go away, obviously. But, you know, they're not making money at the box office anymore. They're going straight to video in a lot of cases. And then you have a movie like Scream come along. And Kevin Williamson, who wrote the screenplay, and Wes Craven behind 
the camera, they they said, okay, guys, we know that. We know that horror is kind of a joke at this point. So what we're going to do in Scream is we're going to invent this new slasher, and we're going to make a very interesting final girl in Sydney, and we're going to create this really cool kind of classic horror story, but built into it, we're going to make fun of and be self-aware of all the things that have got us here. Uh, and that was just a ingenious idea that literally caught on like wildfire. And this film blew up, man. I mean, you were talking box office popularity for the actors involved. I mean, Ghostface, you know, this came out in 96. I would say it's easy to argue that Ghostface is probably in the top five or 10 all-time slashers, you know, like yep. that persona. So yeah, I love Scream, man. I could go on and on all day about it. I'll try not to because I know it's coming up on your list, but how do you feel? Obviously, you're cool with this. Oh, 100%. And I think you've nailed it in your description. The only other term I would bandy in there to be, you know, wanky for a moment is it's the first postmodern horror film. It's that, as you mm -hmm. said, that film where the characters are self-aware. The film itself is very aware of the tropes of horror and deliberately plays on the audience's expectations. So you get this wink, wink, nod, nod to the audience repeatedly through the film. And rather than coming across like, oh my God, how, how lame, because it was the first of its kind, it's mm -hmm. fresh and it's exciting and it's interesting. And Kevin Williamson's script, I don't think you can say enough great things about it. It's one of the greatest horror movie scripts I think that exists has ever been made. For, so for him to go for the jugular in the way that he did with this, and of course it takes a steady hand of Wes Craven, a, a genre vet, uh, and some mm -hmm. pretty pretty cool characters and some pretty great acting in places. For Again, for a horror film to, right. to elevate this to being the classic that it was. So much of a classic that here we are 24 years later and they're gathering all the main cast back for yet another sequel Scream 5. Yeah. So that's how and much of an impact it has. And I can't wait. And you know, Sydney, portrayed by Nev Campbell, was on my Women of Horror. So anyone that's heard that episode from this month would know that. But, you know, I, I mean, it's just, I'm just in, so in love with this movie, man. And it really, you know, it came out in 96. I graduated high school in 94. And when I, you know, I consider myself a cinephile, you know, and a lover of films. And when that really started, you know, happening on a regular basis for me was in the years like 93 to 96. Like, right in that time frame when you know movies like pulp fiction were coming out and yeah yep obviously obviously scream i mean i was just like not only enjoying them but i was like studying them and i was re like i told you i went back to the theater to see this multiple times you know like before that mid-90s period i wasn't really doing that like i'd be like oh this movie's cool or like whatever and i would kind of forget about it but now they just kind of like live on and scream is always going to be one of those that's going to be considered not just in horror, but I mean, overall, it's one of my favorites of all time. So since it is in the horror genre, it, it's definitely a horror game changer in my mind. So I know it seems a little low at number five, and I really what? battled with what with what to do there. But I guess you'll see as we go through my list what, what got precedent there. So Yeah, exactly. That's my, number, that's my number five, Wes Craven's Scream. And we are over to you for your four, buddy. What do you got? Well, oddly enough, that's where I had Scream. Number four. So we can go straight nice. back to you because we have pretty much discussed it, I think, quite well. Well, we're all over the place with the crossover here, so that was my five, that was your four. My yep. number four is The Blair Witch Project all right, from 1999, okay. so, so far we've mentioned two films, <laughs> like 20 minutes in, but right. you, know, you nailed it You nailed it before. I mean, oh. it basically it basically created the found footage uprising in cinema that's still going today. Good or bad? Uh, yeah, I mean, most of them are bad, let's be honest. You know, I had some fun with the Paranormal Activity series, particularly the first couple, um, and there's, you know, Wreck and some other ones are great. Yeah, Wreck but, is excellent. 
But Blair Witch, I mean, come on, man. It's just, it, you know, in the ending of that film, the ending sequence in that film, is just to this day one of the greatest movie endings. It's just like so bone chilling that, you know, especially if you were engulfed in the story and you thought it was real, which I did. I mean, I've mentioned, this sh- I've mentioned on this show before, me and my sister saw that together in Greensboro where I was living at the time and she was visiting me and she was supposed to leave. I said, you're not, you can't fucking leave. Like, I need you to stay here. I can't be a... <laughs> I can't, I lived by myself at the time. So she ended up staying the night. We, we neither one of us could sleep. We were like playing games and like watching TV all night. I mean, it was like, we thought it was real. We're like, the Blair Witch is going to fucking find us because we went to see this. So, uh, you know, a little childish perhaps, but it, it really, it really did scare me. Um, how long, how long after you saw the film then? Did you realize that it was all just a you know very clever marketing hype? You know what? It didn't take long because as soon as I started telling people about it, they they planted that in my mind, and then I started researching. I'm like, oh damn, they're right. I don't know if you remember, but there was this. Uh, I don't think it's around anymore, but there was a Sci-Fi Network on TV you could get on cable, and they even did a documentary about these you know Heather and Mike and those guys, the filmmakers in the film. All right. And they did they did this like documentary about them and about how you know they went they disappeared and like all this strange occurrences and me and my sister watched that too before seeing the movie it was obviously fictionalized but it was uh you know like a mockumentary right is what it was but they didn't announce it as that <laughs> you know what i mean so we were like oh well there's a documentary on these kids and then we saw the movie and we're like this is fucking crazy and then it was like to answer your question i mean it was within the first week of seeing it because somebody okay. was like you know somebody was like you know that's not real right and then i started looking into it and i'm like okay it's not real and that but, was you know sorry no go ahead you're good and that was the interesting thing here. It was literally 10 months later it came out in Australia. So we'd seen the hype. We'd heard the hype. Mm-hmm. This is, again, you have to remember, this is at the dawn of the internet. Like 1999 is kind of when the internet went wide from my vague memory, 98, 99. And this was one of the first films that you would you would do that. You would go home and you'd read about it. But there was no need in our mm-hmm. case because it was well-renowned at that point in time that the stories out of the out of North America where people had thought it was real and how they'd freaked out. And like, that was what made it interesting to us to go and see it. It's like, well, what freaked people out so badly? And some mm-hmm. people walked out of that going, that was it? And right. other people like myself really enjoyed the ride. Like, yeah, I can see how people might have thought that was the real deal at the time. It was a simpler time, ladies and gentlemen. Don't judge us too harshly. That's true. That's true. And yeah. Yeah, I mean that's it's just a little bit of that where it's like a product of its time, and I and I get that. But what I try to tell folks when I talk about the Blair Witch, especially if they're detractors of it, is like if you thought this was actual footage of these kids and this happening, how would you view that film? You know, now somebody going to watch it now, they might be able to see the merits in the filmmaking and you know different acting and stuff like that. But they're never going to have that experience of being like they're watching something that. That was real, you know, which is what a lot of people, myself included, when we saw it in the theater, thought, and it just added a different element to that experience, and that's the exactly. that's what I carry with me. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. So, all right, man. So, crossover crazy to get us started, Paul. Get us out of here, man. What's your number three, brother? Interested to see if this is also on your list <laughs> as a result. Uh, so, I've gone back, and this is predating my time on this planet, and it's the first horror film that legitimized the genre insofar as being award worthy. It was the first horror film that had people lining up around the block to see because it created such a, a shitstorm of interest in the media because of how controversial it was. It's also the first popular possession slash exorcism film and I am talking about 1973's The Exorcist. You are, man, and it's my number six. It Ooh, just missed my close. list. Okay, we got one different um, on the top five. Woo-hoo. Yeah, <laughs> at least, yeah. Talk a little bit 
about it, and then I'll piggyback on you there. Yeah, I just think it's a. It's pretty incredible of for its time of how far it goes. Like you watch it now, and it's like, yeah, whatever. It's yes, it's shocking to have a kid sprouting obscenities and you know, head turning around and, and puking all over the place and you know desecrating religious symbols. But in 1973, that shit right. was off the chain to use a Wayne expression. Like, mm-hmm. how did they get away with this? People were fainting in the cinema, in the aisle rows, and people wanted that experience. They wanted to be scared, which is kind of what all horror film fans want. But then when you add in some great performances, you add in uh, a seasoned director, even in, in 1973, William Friedkin, and the source material, which is was you know pretty wonderful, William Peter Blatty's novel. Mm-hmm. And people were, were dead keen, so much so that, they were, that this spawned however many sequels, but more importantly, how many exorcism films have we seen in the subsequent 47 years? Like, every mm-hmm. year at least there's a one ex- big exorcism film usually several straight to video ones as well this is a genre which plays with people's minds a lot more than most because like it or not no matter how agnostic or atheist you are there's always that there's got to be for any rational human being that that little thought in the back of your mind what if what if there is right. something afterwards and if there is and this is the kind of shit that, that awaits <laughs> if you're not such a good person holy fucking shit that's terrifying that's existentially terrifying right i agree man everything you said is perfect I, you know demon possession is fucked up and uh it's funny that you mentioned no matter how agnostic you are because that's basically what i am Mm -hmm. and my wife's atheist and we're not like even remotely religious but these types of films especially when they're done as well as the exorcist fuck with me because it's the unknown you don't know i mean even you know i mean i don't know because i don't know any personally but i mean even catholic priests are probably you know mystified by the unknown and by what's going on out there and it's just it just and to talk about the exorcist specifically man and i've i've mentioned it on the show before but i have very very vivid memories of this film and this is one of the greatest films of all time in any genre in my opinion and it's just a masterpiece of cinema but some of the young <laughs> just memories for me as a young kid is and i talked about this recently uh, on an episode with jeff from cadavercast but we were talking about the exorcist and linda blair and whatnot and i can remember my father like letting me kind of watch you know you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned gremlins earlier earlier mm-hmm. and uh he let me watch poltergeist when i was way too young you know shit like that um more like stylized horror or whatever that was kind of you could kind of tell it wasn't real so to speak but he i remember him saying you cannot watch the exorcist don't you <laughs> never fucking watching that never. as long as <laughs> as long as you live here you cannot watch that so i guess he had gone to see it in the theater he was around he was born in 55 so he was like a 17 or 18 year old kid when it came out mm-hmm. and he'd went to see it you know all the hype and like people you know fucking pregnant women like going into labor and shit you know right yeah so he's like going to see this shit you know and he was he was a fan of those types of films and horror films and uh he had to leave he said he left about what? halfway through the movie because he was so freaked out and he thought there was like an entity in the theater i remember him telling me that uh, he felt like a presence in the theater with him um and he had to leave and i just that just stuck in my mind now what i told jeff on that episode is like of course that was at the top of my list to see now because <laughs> my, dad, yep. my dad's telling me i can't see it he was fucking leaving theater and whatnot. Ah, yes. So, uh, <laughs> so it it did really. Uh, I saw it way too young. I was probably about fourteen or fifteen when I saw it for the first time. Uh, which I would say for this movie, at least back in the eighties, was probably too young. Um, yep, I because it just it just left such a lasting impression, man. But uh, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. You know, the score is amazing. Uh, Iconic. The source, yep. yeah. William Freakman is just amazing. The camera shots in this. Linda Blair was also on my list of women of horror because she, what she was able to do at the age of twelve years old, such an innocent. 
a conduit for this just demonic, uh, just frightening image that we're seeing on the screen. And, you know, Freakin' did such a wonderful job in that movie, too, where the first half of the movie, he really does a night, or the first third of the movie, he really does such a beautiful job of painting her as just this all-American, sweet little girl. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember, there's a conversation she has with her mom about wanting to get a pony and, like, yep. you know, you know, just all these things that you would imagine just, you know, a sweet little girl doing and playing with her toys and stuff. And then we get connected to that, right? And then in the last half of the movie, it's like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't know what happened to this little girl, but this well, is yeah. scary. It's a it's a yeah. great transition and shows just how far, so to speak, she's gone. And the other parts where I think the film really stands out is some of the techniques that they use. I mean, the, the spider walk scene still freaks me out to this day. Like, that's, a, that's mm-hmm. awesome. But it's the little editing in of the demonic faces, which to my mind is is next level filmmaking for 1973 that shit didn't Mm -hmm. happen that's just clever as fuck yeah i agree man so obviously a groundbreaking film and obviously a game changer so i commend you throwing it in the top five thank you sir Ugh, so tough for me man but it just missed i'm fascinated to see what missed out for it so let's let's find out Also, you know, I think I might be a little biased, Paul, because Exorcist came up on two other lists I did this month. I had fair her, enough, fair on my, I had her on my Women of Horror, and then I had it in one of my scariest scenes in film. Yep. Um, so I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it too. But uh, with that being said, I've also mentioned <laughs> this one though. But my number three, I thought you were describing when you started talking about The Exorcist, but it's uh, possibly an argument can be made. But is this the first slasher film of all time? I don't know. An argument could be made. It's definitely the first one that was a giant box office success. But it's 1960s Psycho. Um, Ooh. And that's my number three. This is, uh, I mean, when you when you just say the words horror game changer, I feel like Psycho, you know, whether you have a personal connection to that movie or not, I feel like Psycho comes to mind pretty quickly. Um, it really, you know, it was coming during the Hayes Code and the production codes that they had at the time where, you know, you couldn't show... A lot of the things that are horror tropes now, you just couldn't show them. You know, you couldn't show weapons or knives going in, you know, penetrating the skin. You couldn't oh, yeah. show you couldn't show blood coming out of a body. Uh, you know, just a lot of things that, we, you know, we take for granted now, especially in horror films. So what Hitchcock did is he said, okay, I'm not going to show you anything. But in not showing us that stuff, you know, and using Bernard Herrmann's score and using this just fucking crazy editing in this film. I mean, one of the just one of the greatest edited films of all time is Psycho. The shower scene alone has like 50 different cuts in it. I'm sure you've heard that before, but... I didn't know the number, no, but uh, okay. Yeah, so it's like a three-minute scene with like 50 shots in it. I mean, it's crazy. Um, And that's obviously one of, if not not the, honestly, most iconic scene in film, the shower Mm -hmm. scene. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, Janet Lee here, uh, who... It's just kind of a poetic thing that, you know, Jamie Lee would go on to become the scream queen in Mm. her career. And it was, it all kind of tracks back here to Psycho. But you've got Norman Bates with the chef's knife, with the butcher knife coming in, and the different iconic image, images we've seen that are really the image of a slasher, you know. And I, some of them may come up on tonight's show, but I mean, you can name any multiple, you know, slashers that we're well aware of and tropes that we're well aware of, and you could track them back, in my opinion, to a lot of things that happen in Psycho. And Hitchcock, you know, was just a genius, man, because he kind of, 
he really changed the code in Hollywood, and he really, in a way, in my opinion, you know, paved the way for what we take for granted now in horror films with Psycho. So I love it. I love the acting in it. I love the kind of eerie ambiguity of the film. It has an amazing plot twist, especially for a first-time viewer. Um, and Psycho. I mean, I, I revisit this film often. I think it's one of the greatest films of all time. So I had to put it on my game changers list. What do you think, man? Uh, look, it's on my list, but it's lower down, so it's in the bottom half. I the reason it didn't quite affect me as much is yeah I think that the real genius of the film other than all the things you described is that that Hitchcock was prepared to kill off his lead character halfway through the film which is something that I'm not sure had ever been done before at that point in time in 1960 and and you're right it's the prototype slasher and it was a very successful film but it wasn't really a slasher film in a sense like it was more a psychological horror to me and it's more mm -hmm. almost to my mind considered it's more of a thriller than it is a straight out horror I know that's probably blasphemous to, to some no, people no 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 I mean and when you're looking at it for face value I agree with you I think that you know me and Jeff were talking about this movie too and he teaches it in his film class so he's a big fan of it and we were both kind of saying that where it doesn't like quote unquote scare you yeah. you know what I mean like it's yep. not a horror like you don't get a ton of scares in Psycho but I do agree with you. But I also am able to be like, okay, but what could Hitchcock do? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, horror, because, you know, before Psycho, right? So we had the Universal Monster movies and we had these, which, by the way, I love all of them. So this mm -hmm. is going to sound, this is going to sound like a negative connotation, but it's not. I love all of them. But they were all kind of campy and cartoonish and they were guys in suits and like, they were they were also had the limitations so those also are not scary um especially if you look at them in in 2020 do you know what i mean so we come along to psycho right in 1960 and we get that. Gotcha. Then what's then what starts coming out in the last half of that decade? And then what do we see in the seventies? And you know, and I don't want to give away any titles for tonight's show, mm -hmm. but I don't know. In other words, I guess I'm saying you can kind of see the tide in that genre yeah, shift sure. after after Hitchcock. Not, not 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 having a go at you about your choice. I think it's a great one. I'm just defending why it's a little lower on my list. I guess. Oh sure, no, absolutely, and I agree with you that it's it's definitely a psychological thriller. Uh, if you're you know if you had to put it in a bucket, uh, but I also just feel like it just changed the genre so much, man. That's that's why it's on my list, brother. And uh, hey, at least we won't have another exactly. one that we won't cross over. <laughs> so at least we get to talk <laughs> about more than five films in detail. <laughs> All right, man. So we're up to our runner-ups. I'm excited. What do you got at number two, Paul? Well, this was, uh, I wouldn't say no-brainer, although that's almost a pun when you hear what my choice is. Uh, but I would say that this film is very clearly the film. There is nothing else around it, anywhere near it, really, probably for even the next uh, eight or nine years, I think it was. George A. Romero was a bloke who had some skills uh, <laughs> behind the camera. And when he made Night of Living Dead on a shoestring budget with his mates on weekends, virtually, uh, in 1968, no one had ever seen the dead come back to life in this way. Up until that point in time, they were vampires and, and the like, and, and maybe zombies had appeared on films as kind of like a, a voodoo ritual type thing, but no one had seen them come back to life as these shuffling monsters that want to eat you in effect right and that's what he did he turned that same existential dread that i spoke about before about being dead into something far worse that there's something worse than disappearing and 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 lights out that's it nothing more the dead could come back and then eat you alive is just a terrifying idea and since then and i didn't really popularize immediately it was took more like dawn of the dead afterwards to reinforce the message of this one but this is the one that set the tone and this mm -hmm. is the film that we can all look back on now with the countless zombie horror films that continue to come along straight to video into theaters to this day i mean we've got Zack snyder's army of the dead coming eventually to netflix i think if not late this year then early next year 
Uh, it's still happening. It's still a huge genre. It goes in waves a little bit, but basically now we're talking over 50 years worth of horror movie impact because of this one idea that George A. Romero had. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we should have got together beforehand. You know what my number two is, right? <laughs> Night of the Living Dead? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, you know, this, this movie's come up before, so it's probably not a surprise to you. I love this film. Um, it, I love it for its historical impact, which is really what we're talking about tonight when you're, yep. when you're mentioning game, game changers. You know, much like The Exorcist, which we talked about earlier, for possession films, Night of the Living Dead is in the same vein for zombie films. And there has to be a first, you know, and there has to be a movie that really popularizes uh, that subgenre. And for zombie films, it's Night of the Living Dead or really just George A. Romero, if you want to discuss his catalog, like yep. you mentioned the others. But yeah, man, I mean, you know, this movie's just such a cool story, too. You you know, I uh, one of my professors in college, I can remember showing us this film in one of the uh, American Gothic film classes I had. And, and he showed it to us and he talked about it. And I remember his passion coming through, too, in his lectures and stuff about Romero and about this film and how Romero, you know, got a bunch of his friends and co-workers together to do it. Cheap makeup, you know, it would cost almost nothing to make. Uh, and there, you know, it's just such a feat, man. I mean, it would be like, you know, it'd be like, it would be like me and you, you know, yep. let's get a bunch of our podcasting dudes together. <laughs> let's get our, let's get our iPhones out and let's film a movie. And then, you know, and then 60 years from now, people are talking about it. I mean, it's just an amazing thing that happened that I'm sure he, he and anybody involved didn't expect no, was going to happen. Not. Um, and just to look back on it is just is just crazy, man. And you know, I've mentioned before too the I think it was Dwayne Jones, I believe, was the lead actor that played Ben. Let me of look. Course. Yeah, Dwayne Jones being a black man in nineteen sixty eight. Another great and point. Being the, yeah, and being the hero in in a film in in the sixties during the civil rights movement. Uh, you know, and I mentioned this when Dan and I were talking about this movie recently, but on the show for a different topic. But you know, what I love about that is I've seen interviews with Romero, and Romero is like, you know, Dwayne was the best actor. I love that. <laughs> like, right there with you. <laughs> Yep. Like he had no, he had no. I he could care less. You know what he looked like. He was like he acted the best in the audition. He got the role. Um, and I, I think that's great. You know, especially if we look about what's going on in the world today. Hundred percent. I know it's. I know it's cheesy to a certain extent, but I, I, I just wish we did that more as a society. You know, like who's who's meant for this and who's meant for that. Merit I mean? alone. That's what should organize things. Merit only. Nothing else. With all of us working, we could fix this place up in no time. We have everything we need up here. We can take all that stuff downstairs with us. And you're really crazy. You know that? You got a million windows up here. All these windows. You're gonna you're gonna make them strong enough to keep these things out, huh? I told you those things don't have any strength. I smashed three of them and pushed another one out the door. Did you hear me when I told you they turned over our car? Oh, hell, any good five men can do that. That's my point. Only there's not going to be five or even ten. There's going to be twenty, thirty, maybe a hundred of those things. And as soon as they know we're here, this place is going to be crawling with them. Well, if they're that many, they'll probably get us wherever we are. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I've uh, beat a dead horse with this movie on the show. Everyone knows I love it, but... Uh, sorry, sorry to add to that beating of said dead no, horse. No, man, I no, I need to do... It's going to be a retrospective over on Patreon, too, where I get Ooh. to talk about nothing but this movie for an hour, so I can't wait to do that, too. Look but, out. Uh, yeah, but I love it. Night of the Living Dead, so we crossed over there on our runner-ups. All right, Paul, how you feel, man? I think uh, we're going to cross over on number one? Yep, I do. I think we're going to have four or you five. You do? That will have to be a record, I reckon. Well, can 
can I just say, uh, based on our pre-roll conversation, I don't know that we will. Oh, it okay. Sp- it, might, it might be a spoiler for you, but go ahead. What's your number one? All right. Well, I'm genuinely shocked. Although maybe not. Maybe given <laughs> that you put Psycho in, that was your your nod to this subgenre in horror. But uh, I think the film which shaped horror the most, game-changed things the most, was the success of this late film in the 70s, which created just about all of the horror tropes that we now see in any slasher film, mm-hmm. right up until whatever one you watched last week. I'm talking about John Carpenter's classic Halloween. Well, that is my number one, but I didn't, think it was gonna be, I didn't think it was going to be yours because no, the, the listeners don't know this, but in the pre-roll, I, I'm doing a Patreon series for the Halloween franchise, and in the pre-roll, Paul, is it okay if I tell them? But you yeah, were yeah. saying you're not you're not really a fan of the of I the guess, series. I guess no, I guess maybe beyond the first one though. But I'm a huge fan of the first one, and I really enjoy <laughs> the 2018 reboot. Oh, me too, man. So but good. Yeah. In between, so there is a lot of shit, and oh, I'm, let's be easy there. <laughs> <laughs> They'll make me get on my defensive thing here. Yeah. No, go ahead. I agree with you. That's my number one, too. But basically, okay, let's start with point of view of the killer. It's in this film with one of the great steady cam. It's not even steady cam because they didn't exist, but one of the great point of view shots uh, ever committed to film to kick this movie off is just incredible on its own. It's the first time that you see things like uh, killing off sexually promiscuous characters and showing such. I mean, it wasn't even that gory, but for 78, it implied so much and was so wonderfully shot. Uh, I think Dean Cundy's the cinematographer here, and the use of darkness and light, all these things that now are just stock standard for a horror film that no one questions are because of Halloween, are because of John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, Jamie Lee Curtis, the prototype, Scream Queen, as you've just mentioned before, uh, the, the daughter of Jason Lee, uh, Jason, Jason, Jan- Janet, Janet Lee, Lee, not Jason Lee. <laughs> yeah, not Jason Lee. <laughs> he, he was in a pretty terrible uh, Mulan remake recently, uh, Jason Scott Lee. But anyway, um, yeah, all these things come from Halloween and it, it was such a runaway success. Now you could say Black Christmas came before it, it did. But it didn't have the impact of Halloween, and it wasn't didn't have the same uh, horror tropes. Psycho, like you pointed out, also comes before. That, that's really probably the first, I agree, uh, prototype slasher. But this is the one, much like Blair Witch Project, that popularised it. And then we have Friday the 13th, and to a lesser extent, Nightmare on Elm Street. And all of these horror film series that have you know, lasted through generations are because of this movie. And that's why it's my number one. Right, and I agree with everything you said. And another thing I just want to add is... One of the reasons why this is my number one game changer too, on top of everything you just said, is that Michael Myers, and, I, and we're obviously just talking about the standalone film in 78, is a non-motivated killer. We do not know why he's doing what he's doing. Yep. And they never, the Carpenter said that in his pitch for this movie. I don't want to show why. Right, I do not want to tell the, and he also, by the way, thought this was the only Michael Myers movie he was making. So just imagine where we would be. Don't say anything, Paul. Uh, it'd be nice. But just imagine where we would be if there were not a f- Halloween franchise and we just had this one movie that came out in 78. and The 2018 we, we, um, reboot. That'd be good too. Right, right. And we just, don't, we just don't know. You know what I mean? And, and of course, they uh, begrudgingly go to great lengths to try to explain why in uh, subsequent sequels, which uh, most of which I'm irritated by. But I... I do love that because even Black Christmas that you were mentioning, which is in my honorable mentions, uh, and some other films that came before Halloween 78, there was always a little bit of motive there. Uh, with Michael Myers, you know, Carpenter's pitch was this guy stalks this babysitter. 
He terrorizes her on Halloween night. That's it. It ends. That's it. Yeah. We we're not gonna, we're not going to tell them why. There's not going to be any motive, and that's really fucking scary, man. Like if you think about it in terms from like a victim's point of view, that's a scary thing. Like why is this brute dude in a mask? coming after me um you know why is he terrorizing my friend why is he in my neighborhood like it's just a scary thing and um you know you hear different things on the news and unsolved mysteries and stuff like that i mean that's freaky shit in real life Uh, but carpenter and deborah hill um there's something to be said for what they created here and that's another reason why it's a game changer for me because it was just unheard of and you mentioned it too but the camera work in this film yes astounding was fucking amazing dude like these wide angle shots i mean you mentioned dean cundy thank you for doing that i mean he's a legend uh dean cundy carpenter together in halloween uh, it's just unrivaled the way that you know they have these wide shots and you know i'm I'm thinking about a scene in, in halloween where there's a shot from the house where Jamie Lee's babysitting and it's looking across the street where the murder is taking place and Annie had just been killed in the garage. And it's literally this wide shot of the house across the street. I think you can maybe see the house next door and you see Michael just kind of carrying this body out from the backyard. And the way it's shot, is just so ominous and uh, yep. mysterious mm-hmm. in a way. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of slashers today, they miss the they miss the mark by giving us everything right in front of our faces. Do you know what I mean? And there's no mystery there. Spot on. Uh, and, and Halloween did that too. I thought it was amazing. So crossover there on our number ones. I mean, I'm not going to believe me. Everybody, I'm doing a series on my Patreon. Everybody knows I love Halloween. <laughs> they, they, they probably know when they saw the brief that it was my number one. But so I was so, actually curious. I was so actually much so you defend the indefensible, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not listening, if you're not a patron to the show, you've got to get on board just to try and hear Gerald justify some of these Halloween films. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I don't want to do the Halloween uh, discussion tonight, Paul. But I will tell you, spoilers for anybody that is or is not on Patreon. I'm not a fan of five and six. Oh, five gosh. and six are <laughs> not good. So there is hope yet. Eh. And I voice that. But you know what? Besides those two films, I do just hold the franchise so near and dear to my heart. But it all started here. It all started with Halloween 78, let's be honest. You know, Halloween 2018, we can touch on real quick, Paul, but absolutely fucking loved Halloween 2018. Um, I feel like it was the Michael from 78. It was the lore from 78, but it was dialed up with the violence that they weren't able to show in 78. Yep. Um, So it was amazing. So I love that one too. Those are my two favorites in the franchise, actually. No no arguments for me at all. I think that's spot on right. Correct. All right, man. We'll wrap up your five real quick, which is pretty much my five a little difference but what was your go through your five to one again well my five was the Blair Witch Project four was Scream three the Exorcist two Night of the Living Dead and number one as we've just discussed Halloween yeah man and my top five was similar ordering off a little bit but my number five was Scream my number four was the Blair Witch Project my number three was Psycho my number two was Night of the Living Dead and my number one was Halloween from 1978 so we managed to cross over on four or five is that right uh, 80% I think we are 80% agreement that we've got four of the, t- the five right wow. and and our wow. other one was in our bottom five so yeah 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 let's see how we do on honorable mentions man I'm curious so you go ahead and go first I've got five honorables here what do you got likewise I'll work down from six, I ordered them so six for me was Get Out uh, that was very close for me the way that we've changed uh, you can weave social comment in in such a a critical way and that african-american films can be popular overseas and you know kind of also saying to the viewer hey you're a bit of a villain too which is you know in many cases which is just unheard of virtually uh alien at number seven just the blending of horror and sci-fi i think uh justin for epic film guys will be annoyed at this point because he doesn't consider it (laughs) i told him a horror 
locker that's all right. room. He came, that's all right. He came on with the Lloyd sausage. Did you hear that episode? I he did. He came on and um, – And he bad-mouthed me. <laughs> what said, did, guess, did he mention you? Yeah, because I what said did, uh, Sigourney Weaver in Aliens franchise is a woman in horror. That's right. <laughs> and she was, in, she was in my five, so hopefully you were proud of me. I was proud of you. Um, and Gerald, I tried I, to defend it. Uh, Justin, I'm not sure where your brain's at, mate. It's a, horror, it's a haunted house <laughs> film in space with crying out bloody loud. It's a horror with a sci-fi. So that was probably the first uh, main example of that. Eight for yeah. Psycho for me. Nine, going all the way back to Nosferatu from 1922. The first oh, good one. example yeah. I can think of of a horror film, at least one that I've seen. There might be something earlier than that, but uh, the one that almost popularized it and certainly was a ripoff of Dracula, but therefore they couldn't afford mm-hmm. to pay the right, so they made their own version. And it's stupid. I mean, it's dumb. But for 1922, it would have been horrifying. Right. And lastly, uh, Ringu from 1998, the Japanese oh, nice. horror film, because we've had 20 years of long-haired, pale-faced ghosts killing people or cursing them, and it's all this film's fault. Sure, man. And what's great about The Ring and Ring You is like, I like that that trope that uh, you know horror filmmakers are able to master when it's something that we shouldn't be afraid of, but we are. And what The Ring does really well is like, if you're at home and you're watching mm-hmm. a, a horror movie on your TV, you're safe, right? But what if the fucking killer comes out of the TV and is in your living room? Uh, and it's just a terrifying image if you think about that oh, as yeah. being something that was a possibility. So I, I love that pick too, man. Thank you. So uh, we did have a couple crossover. I was trying to take notes here, but my number six was The Exorcist, which you mentioned. My number seven would have been Black Christmas. So I do feel like Black yep, Christmas yep, okay. was the first was the first kind of like uh, just mean-spirited slasher film, uh, particularly when you're looking on like a college campus and that kind of stuff. But kind of like we talked about with my Nirvana analogy, I do feel like Halloween 78 is really what like it took off after that. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So that's why Halloween 78 would rank higher. My number eight was A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. And the reason I think that is... Yeah, yeah, the reason I think that's a game changer and why, and I'll just briefly explain myself is because Freddy was such a different slasher. Uh, You know, we're talking about Michael Myers, we're talking about Black Christmas, and we're talking about Jason, and, uh, you know, even Norman Bates to a certain extent, where there are all these slashers that are just kind of like at a snail's pace, just like stalking, and they don't have any personality. And in a lot of cases, they don't even talk. So then you get Freddy Mm -hmm. to come along, and it's like the, the genre goes, well, wait a second, we can do this thing as a comedy. Uh, And, you know, and the horror comedy kind of becomes a popular thing. I'm not saying Nightmare on Elm Street was the first one or Freddy was the first one. But again, how big is that franchise now? Do you know what I mean? And how many many horror comedies have we seen since then? So uh, my number nine would have been the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Yeah, that was a hard cut for my list. Very difficult. I umdadaed over that. But in the end, uh, for me, the reason it didn't make my 10 was, was because... That was that sort of lapse. Like, it's kind of like a almost a torture porn, but it's not very much violence because it's the <laughs> 70s. But it is the guy wearing a mask, for the first one mm-hmm. I can think of of that. So I don't know if that's why I got right. on your list. In a way, uh, the reason I thought of Texas Chainsaw as a quote-unquote game changer, and Justin, you were talking about Justin getting on you. He's going to get on me for this because I know he's partial to the Friday films. <laughs> but for me, this was the first kind of... Um, representation of that kind of gritty, kind of backwoods, underground, like grimy, uh, grindhouse type horror film. Yeah, okay. Um, yep. Where where the killer was just so mean-spirited and it was so dirty. You know, the film was so dirty. And then we look ahead to 1980 and Jason Voorhees, which by the way, wasn't even really in the first one, but if you want to count that one. But the Friday <laughs> series, 
the Friday series, I mean, Jason is an extension of that kind of just dirty, grimy type of killer. Um, and that's kind of why I always think of Texas Chainsaw as kind of... Uh, and then you mentioned the torture porn thing, too. I mean, this is 1974. So it took, what, like 25 years before we really started to see that type of thing in cinema. But it, without Texas Chainsaw, would we have movies like Saw and like Hostel? And yeah, yep. I don't I don't know that we would, you know what I mean? So, uh, And then you mentioned my number 10, but my number 10 would have been Get Out. I think, uh, you know, Jordan Peele, it was just a feat what he was able to do in 2017 with this film and then honestly with honestly with us too a couple years ago um where he's able to entertain and to scare you but he's really delivering a powerful message at the same time um and that was something that horror movies didn't really take the time to do prior to that in my opinion i mean there were a few i'm sure here and there uh with social commentary built into them uh, but now we see it you know we see filmmakers like ari aster and robert eggers and obviously jordan peele where it's like yeah we're gonna scare you and we want to entertain you and we want to get you in the seats but while you're here we're gonna build in this little social commentary this little political messages and we're gonna make sure we kind of give you something important also yep. to walk to walk away with so i thought that was really cool that get out kind of revolutionize that so uh there you go guys our top five plus uh horror game changers paul i didn't throw up the suggestion box for this one because my life sucks and i work too much that's all right <laughs> i think we've done a pretty good job of uh of getting through through the main ones and and i think all of your honorable mentions sort of i can't imagine there'd be too many other choices didn't fit inside what we've got between the 12 or 13 films that we've mentioned absolutely man absolutely this was a lot of fun guys and uh, i couldn't think of a better way to end our october themed episodes for this year paul i'm sure i'll be reaching out to you to come back on before then but i'll probably be reaching out to you to come back on for october next year too it's always every a year, man. to have you on every year while yeah. we are podcasting i am up for this discussion it's always a pleasure and uh, no exception today and the fact that we were so similar obviously we have a high mind anyway so we probably should uh, make it a regular thing just to, to make sure we are channeling yeah. that continually yeah absolutely brother and uh you know we didn't have i feel like we didn't have as much crossover when we did 80s horror over on your show no i don't think so i think this is, i this think is... yeah 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 we had, a, we had a quite a bit tonight but hey they're game changers so i guess it's to be expected all right man so uh blast to have you back paul why don't you tell everybody now look guys before he does this let me just tell you all right and i've sent a few people over to paul in the yeah, last few years so. but but let me just tell you we do a top five countdown show here Paul and Wayne over at the countdown in Australia are an absolute inspiration so they are the countdown show so if you like two peas and you like hearing you know arbitrary countdowns about movies <laughs> then then uh, please check them out Paul tell them uh, where they can find you and Wayne over there well as Wayne likes to summarize you can find us by searching the the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast will pop up pretty much anywhere. We host through Podbean and uh, we have a Facebook listed community which is a lot of fun on Facebook much like the 2Ps group does. So if you want to come along and get involved in discussions, you're most welcome. We'd love to see you there. Absolutely, man. I'll have your information in the show notes for all you guys too. So click on that head over and check out Paul and Wayne. Wayne's been on the show before just the one time. We talked about Tom Cruise. But even that's amazing uh, to have gotten him out of his shell and appear on a show without me prodding him with a cattle prod behind him he did good man he did real good i was proud of him i'm he sure did he well. was too he did well. <laughs> and then like you said like you said i don't know how many this is for you but i want to say you're like in the eight or nine range at this point so you're working your way you're working your way up there but pretty proud of that. this was a lot of fun this was a lot of fun so guys look this brings our october spooky season to an end here on two peas so those of you that are not horror fans which i know that i have a few patrons that are like is this over yet <laughs> that's really the horror stuff it's over for now so the next time you hear us okay. will be in the month of november and uh, we will be on to something other than horror but 
this has been a lot of fun. It's my favorite month on the podcast. And uh, like I said, I was thrilled that I got to wrap it up with Mr. Paul here. So, Paul, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks again, Gerald. And all the best to the peas. Enjoy your Halloween, if you can. Hopefully, you get a way to enjoy it up there. And uh, catch you next time. Absolutely, man. We will be back next week with another Top 5 and another Pee on the Pod. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening. Two Peas is an independent podcast. We rely on donations from our executive producers in order to release new content weekly. Please check the show notes for a current list of all of our executive producers. If you would like to join them to help us continue to release great content, please visit Two Peas on a Pod at patreon.com or check out the show notes for this episode. Again, we sincerely thank you for listening.